last point of our, our ten point uh, study on bibliology, and uh, this is application. Uh, last week, last week we looked at some scriptures that uh, teach the necessity of applying the truth that the Bible presents to our life. Uh, I think maybe the, the, the best one is, you know, in, in uh, James, I'm not sure if we even looked there. Yes, we did. James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only. So if we don't put the word into practice, then our faith is kind of a sham. It isn't, it isn't a, a, a faith that's, that's going to profit anybody, including ourselves. And that God wants our faith to affect other people. When those men uh, who were carrying their friend who had the palsy to Jesus, and they couldn't get near Jesus because of the press of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they tore off uh, the roof and they let their friend down through the roof at Jesus' feet because their faith was so strong it affected the way that they behaved. And that's what God expects His Word to do in our life. His Word should change the way that we behave. It should make us uh, more like our Lord and Savior. And so uh, that's what uh, we're considering as we study uh, the doctrine of application. Uh, God wants each believer to be so influenced by Scripture that he's ready to live for and serve the Lord effectively. I, I, I know that there are Christians that are similar to Lot in the Old Testament. Uh, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He raised his family in the midst of, of that wicked place, and he lost his family. He lost his wife. She turned into a pillar of salt because uh, all she could do was look back at the urbane life that she had in Sodom instead of a holy and righteous life. Mm -hmm. And uh, his daughters, they, you know, two of them were left behind with their unsaved husbands in Sodom and, and were burned with fire and brimstone. And the other two daughters, uh, you know, they... They decided to get him drunk and produced uh, two uh, uh, nations of people that were a thorn in the flesh to Israel from, from that time forward. And so, uh, Lot, you would think by all outward standards, he's not a real Christian, he's not, or not a real believer. Uh, he, you know, he, he wanted to be among sinful people and not among godly people. He, he wanted to raise his family there. Uh, so we would look at him and say, oh, he's, he's not a true believer. But the Bible says, I think in at least three places, that Lot was a righteous man. And so even though he was a righteous man, he didn't let God's word affect his life enough to change his behavior. And so if that can happen to Lot, it can happen to people these days. We're studying on Wednesdays in the book of 1 Timothy. And uh, not, not 1 Corinthians, but 1 Timothy. And, you know, in chapter 1, it talked about those uh, two men that Paul said had made shipwreck of their faith, Hymenius and Alexander. And they're, you know, I probably have the commentaries I've got try to portray them as being unsafe men. I, you know, 
I don't think that they were unsaved because they were members of the church at Ephesus. And even though they blasphemed, and even though they had to be removed from the church and delivered unto Satan, that's, that, that's what happens, sadly, to many Christians who do not apply biblical truth to their life. And so whether it's Minius and Alexander, whether it's Demas who forsook Paul in his hour of need, or, uh, you know, any of a number of other people, including former members of this church, folks who are still members of this church but haven't been to church in well over a year. Uh, you know, they haven't, they haven't even, so far as we're aware, uh, joined our services online. They haven't sent in any tithes or offerings. They, they, they seem content with a life apart from their Savior. And uh, that isn't what God wants. Sometimes that's what people do, but that isn't what God wants. God wants us to take His Word and apply it in our life. And uh, if we do that, then, then, God, then God begins to bless us. The Bible is not given just to satisfy our curiosity about what God is like or what He's done in the past or even as we're going to see in Sunday afternoons in our study of the book of Revelation, what He's going to do in the future. This isn't just something given to satisfy our curiosity. Uh, this is the Word of God. This is something that is, we, we can apply to our life no matter what part of the Bible we read, whether it's the Old Testament whether it was dealing strictly with the Jews, there's still lessons to be learned there. There's still ways that we can apply the principles of, of Old Testament Scripture to our life to make us better people and, uh, and more useful servants of the Lord. Application has to involve relating the Bible to life today. Because if we think that this is only relevant to somebody who lived 2,500 years ago, it, it, it then then we come to church when it's convenient. And we tithe when we can afford to. And we, we, we soul win when we feel like it. But if we believe that this book is God's words for all people at all times, then that its truth has to be applied to our life today, uh, we're going to look at it different. It has to bridge between a present day life and biblical meaning. And uh, that's what as a pastor, that's, that's what's my joy and passion to do. I want people to understand God's Word. And I, I'm afraid that there's so many Christians that either have been led astray by poor teaching that the Old Testament is not really relevant for them, that it was relevant to Jews, uh, but it's not relevant for us today. Or they simply just don't understand it. And because they don't understand it, then they ignore it. And uh, I, I, I teach and preach a lot from passages of Scripture that I think are largely ignored in most preaching ministries. I'm, I've been in a lot of churches, probably well over 300 churches around the world. Uh, and and I, I, I can probably say that... Um, 95% of the sermons that, that I've heard, uh, whether listening to them through the internet or in services that I've actually been in, 
they come from about 10% of the same places in the Bible. There's a lot of passages in the Bible that people just don't teach and preach from. And, uh, you know, that tends to make our view of the Bible a little bit diminished. We don't look at the whole Bible as being uh, authoritative in, in our life today. And uh, so then we, when, when that happens, then we tend to ignore this important doctrine of application. Of application. Well, I can't apply that Old Testament law. That was for the Jews. And so many pastors get up and they say, oh, praise God, we're not under the law. Well, we're, we're under grace. Well, as far as salvation goes, yes. But you know what? The Jews really weren't under the law for salvation either. It's just that they didn't have Christ yet. They, Christ hadn't come. He hadn't been born of the virgin. He hadn't lived a sinless and perfect life. And He hadn't died vicariously on the cross, having our sins put on Him. People in the Old Testament believed that God was going to do that someday. And that was the basis of their salvation in what God's Word said. But when you think that most of what God said is no basis for your life, that's a dangerous road to travel on. That's a dangerous road. And uh, so uh, let's consider a few errors associated with application. And I, I probably said all of these already, but number one is too little attention given. There are some people and some pastors and some people who sit in church, they feel that interpretation, once you have interpreted the meaning of a passage, that's good enough. If you know what it means, that's good enough. But it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Because we're not saved by what goes on up here. That isn't what saves us. Just because we might understand that Jesus died on the cross, that He was the sacrifice for our sin, until we receive that personally, we don't really have salvation. There has to be, there has to be personal application to it. And then another error is that too much attention is given to it. And uh, I, I don't know if maybe that's not the best way to say it, but um, there are some who do poor interpretation. And uh, they misapply the Bible, or they misunderstand its relevance for today. And so they end up making application that is strange and bizarre, just plain unscriptural. So, I, I, I grew up in, in uh, a church that was an independent, fundamental, King James-only church. And, uh, but then I was educated in a, a school that had, boy, they had a lot of rules. I mean, to tell you, they had a lot of rules. Uh, the guys weren't allowed to wear pants that had a pleat in the front. Because uh, back in the day, MC Hammer had those pants with pleats on them. And so, wow. so if you were wearing pleats in your pants, then, then of course you were trying to behave like MC Hammer. It was, you know, you, you, your shoes had to have laces. So these were, you know, you, no loafers. No loafers. Yeah, no wire rim glasses because then you were trying to look like John Lennon. And uh, they just, they had all kinds of rules, all kinds of rules. 
and and but you know they ended up becoming uh, rather puffed up, and they would look down their nose at everybody whose standards were lower than theirs, very derisively. Uh, and but you know what they liked even less than those who had lower standards than them? Anybody who had higher standards than them. <laughs> and and no matter how high somebody's standards, there's somebody else out there who's got even higher ones. You know, uh, because uh, there there were some. Uh, you know, they, the the women that didn't didn't wear pants where we went to college. That was unacceptable. But they could wear culottes. But then there were other churches where anything that had a crotch in it was men's apparel. I mean, right to pantyhose. It was crazy. And uh, so they would, they would like think those guys were kooks and fanatics. But their standard was what everybody should have. And so, you know, this is what I think I mean when I say there's too much attention given to it. Let's be careful to understand the Bible correctly and, and then not make rules that are designed to make us look better compared to somebody else. Uh, that's, that's, that's a big problem. And uh, frankly, I think that too much preaching is manipulative in, in its, um, its design. It, it's, you know, there was a guy that, uh, frankly speaking, uh, he used to, uh, they had their midweek service on Thursday. It's a big, famous church in the South. And uh, he would ask everybody who was going to go out soul winning and visitation on Saturday to stand up. And then they would count. And then when they had their visitation meeting, then they would count and make sure that everybody who had stood up on Thursday for the midweek service was, was there for visit. And the reason that he did that, of course, was to shame those who didn't stand up. Now, he didn't know if those people were out visiting on, on Tuesday or if they had to work. Or, you know, uh, they were whatever, you know, the whole point was, was to shame people. And that's, if you go out soul winning in order to not be ashamed in your church, then your soul winning isn't going to lay you up any treasure in heaven at all. Because it's wood, hay, and stubble, and it's not done because you love Jesus, and it's not being done because you love lost people and you want to see them saved. It's being done for the selfish motive of, I want to look good, I don't want to look bad in front of the church, so I'm going to go ahead and stand up and go, go out soul winning. And so, you know, it, it, a, lot of, a lot of preaching is designed to do that. I've been in churches where, you know, the, the altar calls were longer than the, the, the preaching. And that pastor wasn't going to stop until at least 50% of the people in the pews hit the altar. He was not going to, to, to end the altar call. I, you know, he preached for 30 minutes and it was a 40-minute altar call. It just went on and on and on. And by the end, I'm sure that people were going to the altar hoping that he would end the service sometime today. And those kinds of things are um, a misapplication of the Word of God. It's, it's a, that's, uh, it, it just shouldn't be done that way. Uh, if, if I can't preach the Word and preach it correctly and get people to, 
to do what they ought to. I'm not going to manipulate things in order to get them to do. Uh, I've done my duty. I've preached the Word of God. I've, I've, I've begged the Holy Spirit for His, His power. But if people won't go so winning, they'll have to stand at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of their stewardship and their, and their life. Uh, but I, at least, will be able to go before my Savior knowing that I, that I warned Him. That, 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 I, that I did my best. So, Another problem is the historical gap. And this is, I guess, maybe a problem with ignorance. Um, sometimes scripture is not applied or it's misapplied because we just don't understand uh, what, uh, the, what's going on. And each book in the Bible was written thousands of years ago to a particular audience. And if we ignore that fact, then it's, it's quite possible we may misunderstand what it's saying. I stress so often when I preach the necessity of understanding the Bible contextually because if we don't understand it contextually, we can, we can teach any crazy idea just by taking a verse and pulling it out of its context. And a really good example of that is where we're going to be studying uh, in the coming weeks in, uh, in 1 Timothy on Wednesday when it says let women keep silence in the church. Or even the verse before that about braiding their hair. It says let them not braid their hair. It doesn't say exactly like that, but it, you know, it reproves braided hair. Does that mean the Bible is against braided hair? But it also says, I've heard preachers say that. <laughs> yeah. And it you know, talks about uh, wearing... Uh, uh, gold jewelry and pearls, and and you know, but it also says putting on of apparel. <laughs> so so you know, we 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 need to understand the Bible contextually. Otherwise, we we can make all kinds of uh, really serious errors. And uh, sometimes you know, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, "Drink a little wine for your stomach's sake." Uh, you know, and the water's bad. Yep, the water had parasites in it, and so you know, uh, put a little wine in the water to kill the parasites, and uh, it maybe you'll be feeling better. So, but a lot of people use that passage to justify uh, drinking alcohol um, socially. And uh, uh, there's all kinds of uh, things that like, like that, that, you know, if you don't interpret the Bible contextually, uh, you're capable of making a lot of mistakes. Now let's consider uh, uh, quickly here uh, some guidelines for interpretation. We should be able to finish these, and then, uh, Lord willing, next week, will you be ready? And then Brother uh, Aaron is going to start teaching our class, and he's going to be teaching from Genesis uh, and, and dealing with creation. And so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, um, guidelines for application. One build application on interpretation. Yeah, don't build it on politics. Don't build it on feelings. Don't build it on personal preferences. Uh, uh, boy, there's so many things that that go on in churches that really are nothing more than preferences. And uh, we need to build our application on interpretation. 
And so we're not going to bypass the original meaning in the search of some kind of uh, subjective guidance. If the interpretation is faulty, well, then there's very little hope that the application is going to be legitimate. And uh, so we need to make sure that our, that our interpretation is correct. And then uh, number two, determine what was expected of the original audience. Well, what did God expect from them uh, when the book of Judges was written or, you know, the book of Romans? Understand that uh, some passages in the Bible are there to inform us about what happened in the past. They're not necessarily there for uh, us to do the same thing. So when the children of Israel went into the land of Canaan, they were supposed to destroy the Canaanites. They weren't supposed to pity them. They were supposed to kill the Canaanites, men, women, and little children. Right. And does that mean that's how we should wage holy warfare today? We should go on crusades and, and wipe out entire cities? No. Not at all. Not at all. And, you know, we could get into a, a discussion about why, why uh, God told them to do that. Uh, and people accuse God of being bloody and, and uh, murderous and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but those people were sacrificing their own children to devils and idols. And uh, so, uh, what God, God, because God doesn't kill us all, Right. That's, that's grace. Because we all deserve what the Canaanites should have got, but didn't. Other, you know, maybe the city of Jericho and Ai. We're not sure that any other cities in the land of Canaan were ever dealt with other than those two cities. Um, some armies were. Right. Armies and kings. But, but we don't know that, that that ever happened anywhere. So, but... We all deserve exactly what they should have gotten. And so uh, we'd best not try to set ourselves up as a judge over God. Number three, base application on things present-day believers share with the original audience. There's even, even people who, who lived 3,000 years ago and longer, there's a lot of commonality between them and us. Yeah, they didn't have the internet, but they had families, they had marriages, they had government, they had responsibilities, and so there's, in, in many ways, we're not that much different than them. And uh, we certainly ought to base our application on the things that we share with them. And then recognize, number four, that God has worked in different ways at different times. For example, we all know what God did to Cain after he killed Abel. He simply marked him. And Cain went out from there and, and he established, uh, you know, he became the progenitor of a people without faith who did things that displeased God. And, and uh, But later, after the flood, God said, Whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. Nobody was allowed to exact retribution on Cain for killing Abel, they had to trust in God to do it. And, and uh, later though, after government was given, it became the government's responsibility to 
bear the sword, as it were. And, and so capital punishment, you know, in the Bible has never been uh, the right of individuals. Even when they had an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that was, that was part of the law. God was in charge of the nation. It was a theocracy. God was at the head of it. And they could not do anything more than what God allowed them to do. And so that's why God said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Because, let's face it, most of us guys, if two guys are brawling, and their brawling spills over so that they knock our wife cold and put out her eye, are we going to be content with just putting out her eye? No. Not hardly. Uh, you know... Most of us guys would want to beat him to death. You right. touch my wife, I'm going to kill you. Right. Uh, but God said, no, you're not. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We can't go beyond. None of us are ever content just to render to somebody what they... We want them to suffer much more than we've suffered. Right. And so, so the, the, we, it's important to distinguish how that God has worked in different ways in different times. And now in this time, he's told us that we should pray for those who do wrong to us. And we should, and we should you know, try to uh, uh, render good for the evil that's done to us. So, number five, determine what is uh, normative for today and be careful not to generalize what took place in Bible times. You know, the guy who was guilty of picking up a stick on the Sabbath day. And they put him in hold and went to see, Lord, what, what are we supposed to do to this guy? He was thumbing his nose at your law and picking up, get a whole arm full of sticks on the Sabbath day. And God said, stone. Now, did that ever happen again? Not as far as we know. Do you think other people picked up sticks on the Sabbath day? <laughs> Pretty sure of it. Um, what about what about in the book of Acts when in, in is it chapter five when Ananias and Sapphira lied and they sold a certain possession? They told the church, "Hey, you know what? We got this property over here, and we're not really using it anyways, and uh, we're going to sell that property and give it to the church to help take care of the widows and uh, and the orphans." And they sold the property, and they got three times what they thought they were going to get for it or however much more, but they only laid down part of the price. And God killed them for that. Now, that wasn't even, you know, a tithe. However much they put down, I'm pretty sure it was more than 10%. And how many people then have lied about things or have kept back what God wanted them to give has God struck them dead? No. No. Not yet. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> so, uh, we have to determine what's normative for today. And, and don't generalize, just because something took place in Bible times. Number uh, six is there are principles all throughout Scripture, so we need to identify the principles that are inherent in the text of, of Scripture. Uh, principles are timeless. Whether it's, uh, you know, we, you know, the, the, uh, um, the commandment in the, in the Ten Commandments uh, that remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, 
oh, why why do you know the Adventists say, see, you're you're disobeying God's law because you're not worshiping on the Sabbath? But when we look in Scripture, we see that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And the church met on the, and every appearance of Jesus was recorded as being on the first day of the week. And the church met on the first day of the week. And in 1 Corinthians 16, they're commanded to bring their tithes and offerings on the first day of the week. So if they want to get really zealous about obeying the law, then they should at least come and bring the Seventh-day Adventist churches you need to come back on, on Sunday just Sunday. to bring their tithe, <laughs> just to pass the offering plate. Uh, but so we, there's principles. We can see there that at least one day a week ought to be set aside for the Lord. And, uh, you know, not, not, not the, the days that it's raining and so we can't go walk in the mountain. Um, you know, but we have to give that one day at least over to the Lord. And then seven biblical principles are implications that demand application on our part today. So uh, to ignore biblical principles is it's not good. In, in the Bible, there's so many principles. Let me just uh, point out that you know there's the principle of life, that if God reveals something to us and we won't obey that, then God may take away the light that we do have. And uh, that, that would be a bad thing. Number eight, uh, write out specific action responses based on the meaning of the text and the principles that are inherent in the text. So what is the, what it, when you're studying the Bible on your own, you're reading uh, and you find something, you know, maybe, maybe it's good for you to keep uh, a, a, a notebook with your Bible so that you can record uh, things that you learn as you're reading the text because God's Word isn't speaking to you just to inform you, it's speaking to you to train you. It's speaking to you to correct you. Yeah. It's speaking to you to admonish you. It's speaking to you to make you a servant that is approved of God and needeth not to be ashamed. And so uh, we we write down things as we learn them all through our life growing up in our school days and, and uh, college and when we're trying to better ourselves in our careers and yet some people never do that with the word of God they never take the time to try to learn it and then uh, last of all we'll just end with this uh, rely on the Holy Spirit and uh, so the Holy Spirit is a person God is one God who exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we often pray, our Father, which art in heaven, and we pray, uh, Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ, but the, but the Holy Spirit is a person too. The Holy Spirit isn't, uh, in, the, in the Greek language, in the Hebrew language, He's not gender neutral. The Holy Spirit is He, not it. Because He is a person. And... And so we, we can rely on the Holy Spirit of God to, to fill us with His power, to, to, to give us that which we lack in and of ourselves in order to do uh, the Word of God. Because some things in the Bible, are, they're hard to apply. It's not easy for us to do it. And so uh, those are, those are uh, just some, some general rules to help us with that application of scriptures. I hope that this uh, series of messages on, on the doctrine of the Bible is helpful. 
and uh, maybe in the future I'll, I'll get into a little bit more detail on interpretation and application. Um, but I think uh, this, is a, this is a good uh, introduction to that. And uh, next week, Brother Cameron is going to start us in the book of Genesis, and I'm looking forward to that. I, as a pastor, like to give uh, all members of the church who have spiritual gifts in different areas the opportunity to exercise those gifts. We don't have a lot of classroom space, and so we don't have as many classes as what we would have if, if our church had a little bit more facilities. Right now, we don't really need it because our attendance isn't so, so high these days with the, the virus, but I think it would be good if we had a class for single adults or we had a class for high school students, uh, um, had a class for uh, seniors or a class for young married families, things like that. And uh, just as the need arises, and uh, maybe a new members class, all these uh, different areas where the teaching could be more uh, specific to where people are in their stage of life. But um, any part of God's Word is going to be a blessing to us if we will apply it. And uh, so I'm looking forward to, to uh, Cameron teaching and and uh, I, I think that will be a blessing to him and a blessing to us. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we